Okay, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we're going to read probably most, if not all, of this chapter, and uh, I'll comment as we go. There is something I really want to get to uh, in verse 16. I'm hoping to get that far, uh, but we'll begin with <coughs> verse 1. Every commandment which I command you today... See, the Lord moves and speaks in today. He, he dealt with them in today. God is a God of today. He's a, he's a God for you, the Lord for you of today. Today is the day of salvation. And I've mentioned this before, but maybe I, it, it's worth repeating, that God is present. He's today. Uh, You were created in the image of God, and you do not live in the past. Uh, You do not live in the future. You live in the now. Uh, You can think and dwell on the past, or a person can project into the future. But you in your being, in your essence, who you are, your you're created like God, and you are in that way, you are a being of today, today, today. Not of an hour ago even, it's just now. You are a, a creation of now. And so the Lord speaks to them and commands them today. A man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that is presently, presently, presently. See, that's... The Greek verbs are such there in, in Matthew, uh, laying out something specific. The, the Greek words are the ones the Lord chose, the Holy Spirit chose to put in there. You live by what is presently proceeding out of the mouth of God. So you don't live by bread alone but your bread will be that which is presently proceeding, whatever that may be. Now, he might, be, might not be saying anything to you at this point. That's fine. I mean, that's normal. The Lord doesn't talk to everyone all the time. Uh, if you walk with God and you're walking in the area that he wants you to and you're moving in his will and his way, you might not hear a whole lot, you know, and that will be good. You know, if the Lord's not saying a whole lot, that may mean that you're just fine in where you are and the way you're walking. But man lives by every word that is presently proceeding. So the God of now will speak something to you and I in the here and now that will apply to us. And that is what we are to live by, not by the Bible. I was reading in Matthew. And it says that the wise men showed up whenever um, Christ was born. The wise men saw the star, and they came to Herod. And Herod, he's inquiring now. He was very troubled when they, when they said to him, the king of the Jews, where is the king of the Jews? And so he's troubled with that statement. And so he calls for the chief priest. And the scribes, and they come, 
And now the chief, chief priests and the scribes, they know the scriptures, see. They know what the Old Testament says. So Herod asked him, he says, where does it say that the king of the Jews will be born? And they answered them from their knowledge of the Bible. Well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And so Herod now figures out how long it was that they, how long ago that was that they saw the star and how long it took them to get there, which is two, around two years. And because of their knowledge of the Bible, all the babies and the children of two years and younger died in Bethlehem. See, knowledge of the Bible is not where it's at. It is, Jesus said, my word is spirit and it is life. So biblical knowledge, it may be okay. They had the knowledge of the Bible, but they didn't have the spirit. What was presently proceeding out of the mouth of God for them? I wouldn't have wanted wanted to have that responsibility on my shoulders that I gave him information that he used to kill all these children. Every commandment which I command you today, 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 you must be careful to observe. Why? Why should you be careful to, and I be careful to observe what he commands today? Well, that you may live. Well, you say, well, I am living and you say, well, see, look at me. I'm, I'm alive. It's not talking about that. Well, I'm a Christian. It's not talking about that either. It's talking about the life that proceeds from the Lord. That you may live and multiply. So there is the life of God, the life of Christ that is imparted to you and I as a Christian. And that life that is imparted to us is to multiply. You are to mature in in character. You are to mature in the Lord. You are to grow in Him. You are not to be in the same place spiritually five or ten years from now. Or if you've been saved for ten years, you shouldn't be in the same place spiritually. And I'm not talking about different things you learned about the Bible and about the Lord. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritual development. You should have moved further on than you, than you were five or ten years ago. Because growth is a normal thing that happens, is to happen in spirit. Just as physical growth with a baby is a normal thing. You keep the commandments today so that you might live that you might multiply, and because of the life of God, and because of the increase of that life of God in you, or in whomever, in the children of Israel, that enables them to go in and to possess that which they could not possess before. You know, we have to develop in order to possess certain things. Not all Christians can possess all things. They can't handle all things. We can only handle, and the Lord knows that, that, and he will only give us what we can spiritually handle at that particular time. 
And so as we move on, we can call those discoveries. We come into something, we discover, oh, there it is. Wow. Oh, that's the Lord's giving that to me. Well, the only reason that's taking place is because you have developed to some degree. And go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. Verse 2. See, the leading of the Lord has a purpose. You know that, right? What is the leading of the Lord? What purpose does it have? And of course, that's a very broad question. And each of us could answer that, and we would probably get a lot of different answers. But in the context here, the leading of the Lord for the children of Israel had a purpose, and this purpose is a general purpose, and this purpose also applies to you and I as Christians. His leading for you will be such to bring you to a certain point where now the Lord can, can accomplish or, or he can work to accomplish, hopefully, something in that leading for you personally. Now, you all, all of us, have different circumstances that we're in. Even with a husband and wife. You're, you're different. You're in different places. And the circumstances, although they may be similar, there are differences there, and the differences are for reasons. You know, we experience things, and we just we think, well, that's, that's life. Well, it is life, but there's more to it than that. Verse 2, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you, the leading of God, the leading of God, all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. For what purpose did he lead them, or what were some of the purposes that God had for leading them in the wilderness? Well, first on the list here is to humble them. And the Lord can do things if we are receptive. He can do things to humble us. Now, humbling, remember, is intrinsic. These things are intrinsic. So that whenever you go through something and the Lord is able to bring you down, for the most part, people do not see that. And they don't see what you have to go through and deal with in the humbling. And they don't understand the purpose for that. It's interesting to see the life of Christ. I mean, we, we look at the miracles and all that. All of the, the, the character of the Father, all of the power of the Spirit, all of the wisdom and stature that was placed in Christ. And he walks around Palestine and performs miracle after miracle after miracle. Now, for a minister of God to have power like that, and to hold that correctly, will take something of the Lord. It will take the character of the Lord being built within them in order to perform those things and keep the right heart in it. How easy would it be if all of us were able to walk around and say, okay, we can go into the hospital up there, and everyone we touched and prayed for instantly got healed. Do you know 
it would take quite a work of God to keep a humble spirit in that. Because our tendency is to be lifted up. And the Lord knows that. Now, we don't have the opportunity to do that, you see. So, or if, if we did, we would see where we lacked humility. So because that is not something that we are in, uh, functioning in, the Lord will use other things in our life to bring the possibility there, or we, or he'll, we have the potential of allowing the Lord to take us down. Now, unless the Lord shows you this, unless he's able to humble you personally in some way, you will not quite understand this. You may understand the words and you understand what the word means. But the Lord will work to bring us down so that he can lift us up. He doesn't do the opposite. Man and Christians, they want to be lifted up. They, people want to be these great, great ministers and you know, heal the sick and pray for them and you know, preach all, do all this stuff. And they want to get the gospel out, they say. That's, that's, that's what they say. But that is the direct opposite of what the Lord does and what the scriptures teach. First, there is a humbling. First, we must go down before we're able to go up and go up correctly. And Jesus never, ever moved from this humble heart, even though he was able to raise the dead and heal the sick, his heart was never, ever raised up in, in pride. You know, look at me. Look at me. As a matter of fact, when they wanted to come and make him king, he went in the other direction. He departed. He, okay, make me king. I don't, you know, it's not my time. I must be a servant. And in this humble place, oh, Jesus will be king. Jesus will be placed over all. He will govern the entire world. But he knew it wasn't the right time. See? Oh, the government will be upon his shoulders. But see, everything is done in the proper time. And in my experience, as far as the Lord humbling I have found that the Lord will do, do things to bring you down. And he knows, he knows what we're made of. He knows our frame is dust. And he knows that that will only have an effect for a short period of time. And so he humbles us. And then from that place, we have no power to stay there, you see. That's a work of the Spirit. And what happens is, through circumstances or whatever, we will come up some. And then we'll go through that process again, and the Lord will take us down. And that's why I thank God I've gone on the mission field when, when he's asked me to go. Because there were things that I learned and things that he did that maybe for me I wouldn't have gotten if I was stayed, would have stayed here. But I have found that even here... The Lord does that. We just need to be aware of that and, and be 
you know, attuned to him. He wants us to, to have our hearts down. Now, if we go through this process, and we go through it enough times, and we're aware that we need to keep our heart down, you will come to a place where you will find that your heart no longer raises up like it once did. And you're, you're, you're able to stay down there and walk like Jesus walked. Uh, what's the scripture? He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord doth require of thee, to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God, or to humble thyself, as another translation, to humble thyself to walk with God. So that tells me that God is humble, and he walks humbly, and he wants his children to walk with him there, so he has to help us so that we can walk with him. See, walking with God doesn't mean walking with the Lord the way we want and the way we think. Walking with God means that he's able to do certain things in us that bring about the character that he has or his essence that is brought into your life and into my life so that now we can walk and move and function as Jesus did to some degree. You know, you see some of these young Christians and that they, they, are, they accept the Lord and in three years or four years they're out, you know, preaching the gospel, they're out ministering. Well, that, that may be okay for very, very few. And in that, the Lord can do humble and do all these things. But normally that is not the case. Jesus, at age 12, was found in the synagogue ministering from the word of God. And what did the father do? He yanked him right out of that. See, he had the understanding. He had the, the biblical knowledge. The scripture says this, he's there. The scripture said that. You know, the, the, the uh, Pharisees, like, confounding the Pharisees at age 12. See, he had the wisdom and understanding. But the character yet, he was not completely developed yet. And so the father yanks him out of that, and for 18 more years, he's not ministering. See, his humanity needed developed. The character needed developed in him. And then when that was ready, he went out and accomplished more in three and a half years than many ministers accomplish in their entire life. Because this thing's in order. It's not how long you minister, how many years. It's not all your great knowledge. That's not it. You know, through all these things in the workings of God, uh, you know, has character been developed in you? Christians are in a hurry many times to get out and preach, and the Lord wants to, to pull them back, and pull on the reins to get them to sit under uh, the, the, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. See, because if we can sit under the spirit of revelation, more is going on in us than we ever, ever dreamt. And that will be manifest in years to come. 
But Christians don't want to, you know, slow, stop. They don't feel like anything's going on. Jesus, 18 years, did he have something to say? Well, he had a lot to say. He knew a lot. But the Father, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. And so he was content to be where he was. So the purpose of God here for the leading in the wilderness was to put certain characteristics in the children of Israel, beginning with being humble, humility. That's where he's beginning. To humble you and test you. Oh, my goodness, the list is getting worse. (laughs) Testing is not bad. It's one of the better things that can happen to you as a Christian because that will develop what little character we have. That the testing of your faith worketh endurance, patience, endurance, whatever. It works. That's the, that's the point. It's working something. And I would never pick in and of myself, well, hey, Lord, how about testing me? <laughs> Could you do that for me, please? I'm, I'm going to go to God. I'm going to grab hold of the horns of the altar, and I'm going to pray, Lord, 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 please test me. I don't need to. <laughs> we wouldn't pray that anyway, probably. You don't have to. Because the tests will come. It's inevitable. And so the Lord is gracious to do what we would not ask him, or in times we would not even want. But the testing is not bad. I mean, you walk with God and, and they come. So what? So what? It's no big deal. The tests are for your benefit. We're going to look at that, I think, maybe in Hebrews. The testing is for your benefit that the character of the Lord, which we want, can be developed in us. And see, we want the character of Christ. I want to be like Jesus. I want more of Jesus. More and more and more. You ever hear that song? I want more of Jesus than I ever had before. I want more of his great love, rich and full and free. I want more of Jesus, so I'll give him more of me. (laughs) That's an old song. Well, there's truth to that. The testing is for your benefit. Now, I like the Lord because we don't live under the testing 365 days a year. It just comes here and it comes there at, at times. And the Lord knows our frame. He knows what he can do. And, and he doesn't overburden us. Uh, no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. It's common to man. But with the temptation... The Lord will make a way of escape that, what? You may bear it. So the way of escape is always our placing our attention and focus on Jesus. Because that's where we overcome. We're overcoming in the test. 
Do you want to be a part of the bride of Christ? Yes? Okay. Do you want to be clothed in fine linen or, or white garments, as it's translated in, some, in King James? Yes, we do, don't we? One of the um, qualifications for being clothed with white garments is found in Revelation where Jesus tells the church, mm, which one is it, Laodicea? Sardis? I think it's Laodicea. He tells them, to him that overcometh will I grant to be clothed in, or will I give to be clothed in white garment. So it's just not something the Lord's going to hand out. See, there's certain qualifications for these things. And so here's the test. And the Lord wants to, see, the Lord wants all Christians to be a part of the bride. He's interested in everyone being a part of the bride. So, he is going to give us opportunity so that we can be dressed appropriately for the marriage. So that means that I must overcome to be dressed or that it's given to me. These white garments are given to me. Well, my question is, what is it that I need to overcome? He doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say what it is that you should overcome. It's not even mentioned in Revelation. He just says, you, you know, he that overcometh. And that overcometh is a, is a participle, I'm sure. It means that it, they're, they're, you're in your spirit. You're to be overcoming. What are you to be overcoming? He doesn't say. The reason why it doesn't say is because that will be something that is individual and it will be something that is tailored to that particular circumstance, to that individual. So what is a test for you may not be a test for me. And what is a test for some other person may not be a test for you. You say, how can that be a test? That's, there's, nothing to, there's nothing to it. But that's because you are different. You're in a different place spiritually. And the Lord is so good that he knows when he, when he looks at you, he doesn't look at you physically. When the Lord looks at you, he looks at your spirit and he sees your spirit and he knows what in this life can touch your spirit. And so he will, will orchestrate. He's, he's a great or, <laughs> a conductor. He can... Test, 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 test. He is good. And he will orchestrate a situation for you, and he knows that that will touch your spirit. Now, my wife, it doesn't, I mean, like her, it's like nothing for her. But for me, it's like, oh, oh my goodness, I can't stand this. Because the Lord knows what it is that touches my spirit. But then on the other hand, there are things that touch her, and I'm thinking, that's no big deal. See, so your test is not the same as someone else's. The Lord will give each individual opportunity to come forth with white 
garments. I don't know why we're going into all this. But we can walk faithfully with him. And, and we can overcome. Now, that does not mean that if we fail, that we're pushed aside. No. All that means is that we failed. And we need to get up and continue on. That's the important thing. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Uh, though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down, because the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. So all you need to, to, to desire is, Lord, uphold me with your hand. And if I fall and I'm overcome, I'll get right back up and continue on. Another opportunity will come. Because I think everybody fails at some point. It's just because of the nature that we have. We we fail. But that's okay. The Lord will orchestrate these things for your benefit so that we have opportunity to be dressed. And there's a scripture where it talks about, Paul talks about, that they would not be naked, you know. You could be naked before the Lord, you know, but that you would be dressed, you would be clothed. And the Lord is interested in fine linen. Uh, have you ever gone to a wedding and the bride come in, in t- ripped, ripped shirts and blue jeans to walk down the aisle? I, maybe they have somewhere, I don't know, but I've, I've never seen it. How does the bride dress? She puts on this white or whatever color, you know, beige or bridal dress. And you don't see all kind of, of stains. Oh, there's, I, I, I tried this on last week and I spilled coffee on it. There's a big, huge coffee stain, but that's okay. I'm just going to, oh, my goodness. They would flip. I mean, you, I mean, they have to get that stain out, Right. I mean, the world would come to an end if a bride... Okay, here she goes. She's in the back of the church, and somebody walks by, and, and they, they spill something black on her big spot. They would just... Oh, yeah. The wedding would be over before it started. Well, see, we do not want to have our garments spotted by the flesh. The flesh will spot the garment. We don't want that. So... The Lord here deals with the Israelites, and they have no clue what he's trying to do, just like sometimes Christians have no clue what the Lord wants to do in them. He's trying to get them so that their garments are spotless, and and they're more interested in trying to get out of any situation, any test, any problem, get out of it as quick as I can, don't try to overcome it, you know, They try to avoid every single thing that will produce the character of Christ in them. They do that to their detriment. Now, I'm not saying to be some masochist. Oh, Lord, kill me and, you know, test me and, you know, beat me. And No, you don't have to do any of that. Just walk in this life and they come, don't they? Problems, tests, all that. So the leading of God, the purpose was to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart. Now the Lord looks, and he already knows what's in the heart, doesn't he? So it wasn't that the Lord had to test them so that he would know what was in their heart. 
And which brings a, a question. If the Lord already knows what's in there, why bother testing them? Exactly. And there's another reason. For judgment. What they do, what we do, ultimately will be seen at the judgment. You know, it will just be laid right out there. It's not that, the, you see, nobody's going to be able to accuse the Lord at that time. They, they won't be able to. Because it will just be laid right there before them. They will, their expression will be right there. And that will judge them and condemn them. And I don't mean condemn them to hell as far as the Christian. Well, this applies, we know this applies to the world also. The rewards and certain positions, whatever they may be, uh, must be qualified. You have to qualify for these things. And the Lord is not going to say, well, you know, this is... And the Christian can't say, well, listen, I tried, but it wasn't me. It was, it was my wife. It was, her, it was her. She was the one that... Or it was that neighbor or my coworker. See, nobody's going to say anything to the Lord. What is there? The expression will be uh, what speaks. And everything will be based upon that expression that comes out from the individual. They're not going to have to say anything. The Lord's just going to look at that and he'll know, he'll know by seeing that what that person qualifies for, what that person can be given, and what they cannot be given in case. There's no debate. There's no well, if, and, but. But, but you don't know. But you don't, none of that. It's all done. Every mouth shall be stopped. Nobody's going to say anything. So, the Lord does not wait till everyone stands before him in the judgment to say, to do. He, he starts way, way, way back here with us and back here in Deuteronomy with the Israelites and for every other person to work in a way to show them what is really in your heart. Now, have you ever seen something in your heart since you've been a Christian that you didn't like? Now, do you know that the Lord does not do that to condemn you? You know that, right? Do you really know that? Or do we think we know that? I like how Paul puts things. Paul puts things in the plural, and he puts things in the plural in the Bible, in, in his epistles, in that, uh, to include. But he knows that not all will be included in the plural. He knows that. But he does that anyway in hope that whoever will be a part. So, for example, and we know that all things work together. He says that in a plural, and we know. Well, Paul knew that, but not everybody knows that all things work together for good to them that love God. Not all Christians, I mean, they can quote that, but not all love God in the manner that Paul is talking about there. And only those that are dedicated to him will have all things work together for the good. Not Just because you're Christian doesn't mean everything's going to work for your good. And, and in the 2 Corinthians, you don't have to turn there, 3.18, but we all with unveiled face. Now, I like that because he puts that in the plural. 
And it seems to me that in that case, the Lord does that, whether the Christian sees it or understands it or cooperates with it, it doesn't really matter. He does it anyway. We all with open face, and that open means unveiled face, unveiled heart. An unveiled heart is a work of the Spirit. That's a work of the Spirit. Do you want the work of the Spirit? People would say, yeah, yeah, well, he's going to show you your heart. That's one of the works of the Spirit for you. We all, with unveiled heart, face the glory of the Lord as in a glass. Beholding as in a glass are changed. When we behold him, when our hearts are revealed and we see what's there, and we don't like that, and we take that to the Lord, we say, Lord, help us change this, change this, Lord. Help me change it. Do what you need to do to change what I see, because I can't stand what I see in my heart. So, so the Lord unveils it. He shows it to us. And we take it to him, and we behold him, and we are changed into that image from glory to glory. There's a process there that, that, that continues in the life. So with the Israelites... Many times they did not see, and I don't want to say all the time, I don't know, I guess they did not see the, the, in reality what the Lord was trying to show them. Their murmuring and complaining says to me that they did not really understand uh, what they were seeing, or put it this way, they didn't understand their hearts even though the Lord was unveiling that. You know, it's just like, it's, you know, it's the woman you gave me, Adam. You know, Adam says, it's, just the, you know, it's her fault. <laughs> of course we know it's the women's fault, right, men? <laughs> Don't answer that, you'll all be in trouble. <laughs> the, he's laughing, oh, he's laughing, he liked that. Well, he did, he was a good boy. And that's, that's our tendency, we're, all of us actually, you know, it's, you point the finger, it's not, not me, it's. It's them. It's them. You know, it, it, I want to go back to Egypt where we had the, the leeks and the garlic. And, and you say, man, what did they want that for? <laughs> the leeks and the garlic. Well, I like it, but I mean, not everybody does. And the onions and all that. They never were able to see what the Lord wanted to do by revealing the heart. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny because... Have you ever seen in the world where people will, will start to argue and the one person is saying something to the other person and telling them how they are? And they're saying, you're, you know, this, you're this way, you're this way, you do this, you do this. And this person is in total denial. Like, there's no way that they're going to agree with anything. And even though the person, what they're saying is correct, they're showing them their heart. There is no way they're going to even believe that, agree with it, that's not me. And, and that's in man where they, they deny anything or a lot related to what they really are. And the children of Israel could not come to, to terms with what the Lord wanted to show them. So the first thing, they're led out, out of Egypt. You would think, you know, you talk about the Lord. He, he's, he's good at what he does. He leads them three days' journey. They're so happy to leave. 
They're taking their cattle and everything, all the spoils from the Egyptians, and they're singing and dancing. Woohoo! We're going to leave. <laughs> oh, man, those suckers, the Lord really took care of them. And, you know, that'll teach them to put us in bondage for 400 years. <laughs> Boy, they, they got their hineys whooped, like they say, you know. And then they're going out there, and they're all excited. And what happened three days later? No water. They're thirsty. They're murmuring. They're complaining. Well, what's this all about? Now, think about this. The Lord delivered them. And he used how many plagues? Ten plagues? Seven? I'll have to check that out. No, I'm going back right now. Checking this out. Ten plagues. Ten plagues. The tenth plague was the firstborn. (laughs) Oh, wow. No comment. (laughs) Ten plagues. Okay. Make the correction. The Lord, the Lord gave them ten plagues. Now, if the Lord can do all that, all those miracles and all those acts to the Egyptians, what makes the Israelites think that God is now not in control because in three days there's no water? You see, like, they, they saw all that, but yet they didn't really see. Their eyes were really not open. They saw the miracles, but they never really saw the Lord. And so they go out there, and the Lord now is going to test them. The first test for them. And remember something, that a test is a test. The nature of a test means that it's something that is or can overwhelm you. It is something that you will not like. It is something that will push you to the limit. How many have ever been pushed to the limit? (laughs) Well, that hand went up fast. Now, how do you know it was to the limit? (laughs) You're hopeful. Well, you know, the Lord knows our limits. And sometimes... He pushes us to the edge, and we are getting to the place where we say, Lord, I, I don't know if I could take any more. And, and I've experienced that where I was in a place where I thought I, w- I was done. I was done. Really. You know, the, the Lord did some strange things with me. Maybe that's why I'm so strange. <laughs> well, I guess it's strange in a good way, right? Good. Good answer. You, you, you get, you get, you're dying to seven. <laughs> Is that not plagues? <laughs> so the Lord will push to the limit so that we know what we don't have. See, sometimes we think we have it all together, and the Lord will push us to a place where we know that if he doesn't come through, that we're done. And so here are the children of Israel, three days, 
and the Lord is testing them. He wants to show them what's in their heart. He wants to humble them. He wants to test or prove them. And he wants to show them what is in their heart. And he couldn't humble them. He couldn't bring any good thing out from the test. And he could not show them their heart. They refused. By their actions, they refused. Very sad. Very sad. But they'll have other opportunity. And if you'll remember, you can trace that through the book of Exodus. Whenever, for example, they come to the Red Sea. Well, there's another test there. They turn around, here comes the armies of Pharaoh. On numerous occasions, they always wanted to, to go back to Egypt. They hated the tests. They didn't want to face these things in the wilderness. Now, I, I, I will have to admit, I wouldn't like living in the wilderness for all those years. But I, I believe the Lord took care of them. What, what is a cloud by day? What does that mean? What does a cloud do in the sky? It moves. Yeah, what else does it do? Don't tell me it has rain. What else does a cloud do? Change. That's right. So I always see, you see photos and pictures. You always see the cloud like this, you know, the pillar, which is, which is true. But I, I kind of think it went up like this and went out like an umbrella and shaded them. It's quite possible. So the Lord, you know, took them out of the heat. It's pretty hot in the wilderness. I mean, they had they could winter tent, but I would think a, a tent would still be pretty hot, even if you leave both ends open. The Lord provided for them. Their clothing never wore out. Their shoes never wore down. Boy, if they could patent that today, there'd be a lot of rich companies. Everybody would buy them, but then it would be done. No more sales. <laughs> He did the impossible for them. And yet, he could not bring anything beneficial out of the test, and they could not see their hearts. See, the, the blindness of man, apart from himself, apart from, apart from God, the blindness of man himself will not allow him to see his heart to any great degree. Now, you have people who you know, seem to have a, 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 um, a view of their heart and you know, they'll say all these different things about them that aren't good and what have you, but that's just about a bunch of negativ- negativity. It's not really getting down to the core issues of what's really you know, going on within, deep within the person. You know, why is, is it, even that has, has a root, but why, why is it that they act a certain way? Why is it that they think a certain way? You know, all of that. And the, the core of that goes down to the carnal nature. So unless there's a change there, you know, a person in the world may catch a glimpse here and there of how they are. But for the most part, they're in denial. And I listen to some people sometime and they tell me about other people in their family and, you know, how dysfunctional some of their families are. And uh, like, for example, this one guy's mother, he tells me things about her and what she says and what she does. And it's like no matter what anybody says to her, they cannot show the type of person that she is to her, to herself. She can't accept that. She can't, you know, hear that. And so the children of Israel, 
were in that same position. The Lord will continue, as, a, as you are a Christian, will continue to work and, and lay the groundwork in your life so that he can unveil your heart and show you things. Because if you're a person, now I don't know if anybody here has ever had an attitude at all in their life, but an attitude sometimes is not so easy to see. I mean, if it's a blow-up thing, it's easy to see. But if it's this sly little type thing, you know, you know how you, you like a little jab on, jab a person? You, know? you, you really don't like them when you do a little jab here. Jab, jab. I'm a Christian going along. Jab, jab, jab. I'm a little Christian walking down the road. Jab, jab, jab. And that's what we do. Or we, that's what I shouldn't say. That's what we can do. And so the Lord, he, he looks at that and he sees it and he... He wants to get to the bottom of things. And whenever the Lord brings you down and he humbles your heart, and then he starts bringing the tests along, okay? And you're starting to move in that, and you're starting to, to uh, be successful, and you're overcoming in the test. Now, in that process there, one of the things that will be revealed is your heart. And that is a good thing because what is deep down within me, I will never see. Even if my wife points it out to me, sometimes I will never see. I'll just disagree. But the Lord wants to get to the bottom of things. He's called the root of Jesse. I should look at that. There's something more than just the the genealogy thing. The root of Jesse. He can get down to the root of things. And he will do something there in the heart to bring that up so that we can see that there it is. There it is, right there in front of me. Now, for you and I to have and and keep, or, or, or put it this way, for there to remain a soft heart within us, it is going to take a work of the Spirit to show us our, our shortcomings, to show us what is there in our heart, in, our, in our, our spirit, okay, so that we can cooperate with the Lord in the process of destroying that. And, and over time, the Lord will destroy some of these things as much as He can. And so the Spirit, the work of the Spirit in my heart and life, is very, very valuable, cannot be substituted by any other thing, and he is well able to do what we cannot do, and what, if we had another 300 years to live in this life, we would not be able to change some of these things ourselves, no way. But it's wonderful that the Spirit of God can do these things and change us. So, these are some of the purpose, purposes of the leading of God for them in the wilderness. This is one of the, some of the purposes of the leading of God for you and I in our life. Humble you, test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you will keep his commandments or not. Verse 3. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger. The Lord allowed them to hunger. Their hunger was ordained by God. 
a leading of God, a leading of the Spirit, was to bring hunger to them. That sounds strange. But remember, this is only a temporary thing. It doesn't mean he's going to starve them. Now, in their thinking, he th- they thought he was trying to kill them and starve them. But th- that's, that's not the purpose. That's not the ways of God. That's not what he was after. He was after what these things in the natural could produce in their spirit. Things in the natural that we encounter can produce things in our spirit. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you. So he does all that. He'll he'll cause the hunger. He brings the feeding. He'll work in your life, in my life, to have us hunger and thirst for righteousness, to hunger for Jesus, to hunger for the word, however you want to say that. And then when that hunger is there, that's what he's after. Because now he can feed you, and that's going to be really good. Uh, food tastes the best when you're really hungry, I think. When you get hungry, you know, you get something like, what do you like to eat? Everything. <laughs> Chicken, steak, uh, whatever. Vegetables. <laughs> whatever it may be. Cause them to hunger. See, the Lord will give you a hunger for his word in order to feed you with his word. He will give you a hunger for him in order to give you himself. See, the hunger is for no, not just for any reasons. There's no, it's not that we just... He's going to leave it right there, and that's it, just hunger. No, there's the hunger that's brought about, and then the feeding. You know, both go hand in hand. So he fed you with manna. What is manna? What is manna? Bread. Anybody else? What's manna mean in in the Bible? What's the word mean? Anybody ever look it up? No? What? Yeah, very good. That's the, the, the literal translation of manna is, what is it? They, they went over there and say, what is it? <laughs> they didn't go over and say, this is manna. They went and said, what is it? Well, the Lord fed them with, what is it? <laughs> well, we may say, when the Lord feeds us, what is this, Lord? <laughs> what is this? You know, here I'm hungering after you, and look at this thing that came. What is this? What is it? The, 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 the manna was the provision of God. See, the Lord saw their circumstance, what they were in, and the manna was the provision in that circumstance. The manna was what they needed then and now. Remember, it came, what, every day? Every day of the week? Same amount? No. Every, every morning, every, every day, the same amount? No. I'll let you look at that. But yeah, he, he provided. Every day they had, what is it? Now, I, I, I think it's a little comical because he fed them for how many years in the wilderness? 40 years with what is it? <laughs> It's like, wow, does God have a sense of humor or what? I think he does. 
Well, they, they didn't say what it is. <laughs> they said, what is it? Oh, today they say what it is. Oh, okay. And he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor, nor did your fathers know. Now, what does he mean they did not know? Didn't they see it sitting on the ground? How did, how did it get there? You ever think about that? How did the manna get there? The Lord, well, how, what did he come by in, 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 a, in a bicycle and drop it? I mean, how did it get there? <laughs> Fell from the heaven, well, like a hailstorm? A manna storm. A manna storm. What is it? Storm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> but here it is every day, and they have to, to know that Moses didn't run around putting this stuff out there. The Lord did. They had to know that. But when he says they didn't know, he's talking, I, I believe, about them not knowing the heart and character of the Lord. See, which ye did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know. So, so they, didn't, they knew that God brought that manna down from heaven. But they did not really know because they did not understand uh, the character of God in what he was doing, what he was providing, and they did not know that man does not live by that alone. See, see, they did not know that. The Lord wanted to bring them to a place where they knew that he was God. Personally, they knew that. Not having some mental understanding that the Lord provided this. Well, yeah, I know God, you know, I'm going to church today, you know, because it says it in the Bible, and when I get there, I'm just going to be there because the Lord's going to be there. Well, that's okay. But, but that does not mean that a person moves into this greater knowing of the Lord. That doesn't mean that. You know, knowing something... Okay. Who, who was the first president of the United States? Does anybody know? Who was the, do you, do you know who it was? Who was it? Okay. George Washington was the first, we know that, don't we? But do we really know George Washington? And there's a big difference between the two knowings. So I can know something, I can know about something, but that does not mean that I know. So the word know is there's different things moving with that word. And we're not going to get into that because that's a different study here at all. Oh, it's, it's all different. But you can see that here in this. They knew that the Lord provided the manna, but they did not know. He told them they did not know. They did not know. They didn't understand that man is not lived by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And he's, he's talking about his character. He's talking about who he is to provide to meet their hunger. And they never knew that. Seeing all the miracles in Egypt, seeing all the miracles in the wilderness, day after day after day after day. Seeing the cloud. I would think at night when you see, you know, you, you go into your tent and 
you see this big flame, the, the pillar of fire at night. And then all of a sudden, at dawn, it turns to a pillar of cloud. They, they, they saw that. They saw it. Well, they knew that was God. And the Lord says, even though you saw all these miracles, all these signs, all these different things, you did not know me. You knew the miracles, but you did not know me. You knew the signs, but my character, you know, who I am, to humble you, to test you, and, and all that, you know, all that I wanted to do in that, you really didn't know. You never knew. Neither did your fathers know. You don't know your fathers didn't know. There was a lack of knowledge of the Lord. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. Not a head knowledge. Not a Bible knowledge. But an inner knowledge of the Lord. That's different. It's always different. That they didn't know. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger. He allowed you to hunger. I like that. And fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you to know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the Lord wanted to make them know that, but because of their hard hearts and because of unbelief, even though the miracles and the signs, he could not show them. He could not show them. No matter how God tried, he could not show them. He had his character built in Moses. And even in that, they did not see. They, they just couldn't get it. Verse 4. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your, your foot swell these 40 years. That's an amazing thing. 40 years in that heat... You know, traveling place to place in a hot, blistering desert, and their feet never swelled. Never needed ibuprofen. Sometimes I look at these things and I'm saying, wow. All these things he did for them, and they still didn't get it. And here, the Lord's done none of that for you, and you got it. Pretty nice. That's real nice. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Oh, my goodness. Chasten, chasten, test. Oh, what's all this stuff? Well, let's go back to Hebrews. Now, I always like to stick pretty close to the word. I can't help it that some Christians, they get this teaching where you know, if you're not saying what I consider positive and, and encouraging, that, you know, I, I can't receive that. It's just too much. Well, it really isn't too much if you actually see the heart of God and you see what he's really trying to do. So you have to understand, not in your mind, but you have to understand in your heart that this life here that we're living is not for this life. And if you can really get that, then you will see that the different processes and the different things the Lord uh, does and, and puts us through, and you can, if you can see that he's, he's after some uh, benefit, it's for our good, for our benefit. If you can see that, it's really no, no problem. I don't have a problem. I, I could care 
I don't want to say I could care less, but as I don't, I don't mean it that in that spirit. But I could sit and hear talk about denying self and um, that your coronal man needs to die, death to self, and all that. I could sit and listen to that every week. Now, before that occurred in my heart and life, then I had a problem with it. I don't consider it a negative thing. It's a very positive thing. The Lord always in the scriptures, you can see this within a scripture, many, many, many places in the Bible. It's everywhere. He goes from the negative to the positive. That, that's the, the, the normal rot. So you'll have the negative thing there mentioned, and then you, you'll see the positive. And the negative seen alone by itself uh, can cause a person to dwell on that. But you have to take the whole thing. The negative, and I don't consider it, I'm, I'm saying what people consider negative. The negative and then the positive. The whole thing worked together is, I believe, called the, way, the ways of God. How he wants to take you and I in our nature, the things that are there, and to work in a way to bring us over here in another place uh, where there is a work of the Spirit in our life and things now are totally changed and different. You know, and he's able to take what where once you were filled with yourself, you filled with what was in your character, and he in the process of going from this negative to this positive, he's taking all these different things out and replacing them with his character and himself, instead of you, you being filled with self, now you're filled with him. With him, And so the whole process there is, is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And we don't thank the Lord enough for what he does. I, I'll often say, Lord, thank you for not giving up on me. You know, he, he could, he could, he could have just said, and we know that's not his nature, but he could have just said, you know, I had enough of you. You know, I tried this, I tried that, and you're not cooperating. I can't get what I want out of your life. But he doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit will continue to work in a Christian, even though we fail time and time again to bring us on. And that is a tremendous gift of God. And, I mean, I thank him for it all the time, that he didn't leave me where I was, and he hasn't given up on me when I fail, and when I don't get it, that he's faithful enough to, to come and, you know, go plop, right across the back of the head. Plop, oh, it gets my attention, you know. Does the Lord ever get your attention? Get a little plop. Okay, now, what are you trying to show me, Lord? It's pretty nice. It's pretty nice that he's patient with us. In uh, Hebrews, I don't know where. We'll finish with this. Hebrews 12, verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. So he's dealing here with sons, not children. He's dealing with sons. And he is exhorting sons. If you are developing and leaving childhood, the Lord's going to exhort you and, and get you to where you're understanding this and that you're seeing that there's a, a great purpose behind some of these things. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. So there, that tells you something. 
if he chastens you, and his chasing is not an all-the-time thing. It's just at times, when, whenever we need it. You, you know, with one child, it's really, really interesting to see how with one child, you can just say something, and that's it. That's all you need to do. You say it, and they're on their way, and that's all the chastening that they need. Whereas with another child, you may need to chasten in the form of punishment. They, they need it because they're lacking discipline, they're rebellious, or whatever it may be. So, so the Lord, he knows where we are, and he knows the measures he needs to take. With some, he just can just, if you ever, you know, like, like mother or father, gives, gives the kids one of these, you know. The look. Have you ever gotten the look? Well, with some, that's all they need, and that straightens them out, like, really quick. All right? With others... I mean, you had to take stronger actions. Like my mother has to grab me by the ear when I was a kid and she'd pull me through the house, you know, and yelling in my ear. So I, I guess I needed it at that point. So it just depends on the form of, of chastening the Lord needs to do. And he usually, from my experience, starts off with the soft stuff and then proceeds if he needs to. And with some, he knows that he can't start off with that and he'll use stronger measures. And remember, this is for the benefit of the child. So if you're walking with the Lord, he might just have to just look at you, just, you know, real quick glance and you know, and then you're fine. You, you know, you can go on. Verse 7. If you endure chastening or bear up under chastening, God deals with you. See, he's dealing with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? See, being in subjection to the Lord, who is the God of our spirits, If we're in subjection, that will bring life. That will bring greater life to you and I. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, meaning the Lord, for our profit. See, underline that in your Bible. Verse 10. That he's going to do these things for our profit. You have to see that. That... For what reason is he going to do that? He gives you the reason there that we may be partakers of his holiness. Or you could say that we may be partakers of his character. That's what he's he's trying to do here. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, or as the King James says, for the, I think it says those who are exercised. There's a purpose behind this. Therefore, therefore, because of, of the, the chasing and the dealings of the, of the Lord in that, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down in the feeble knee. So now the Lord's able to, to bring strength into the person. Before they were like this because they're going maybe their own way in their own direction and now the chasing comes and now they're, they're revitalized. You know, he, 
lift up the arms and the knees. Now you can continue on. And the Lord's provided. That was his manna there in that, in that thing there for you to, to continue on and to be strengthened. So the Lord's pretty good. Pretty good. And we should be very, very, very thankful to him for revealing our hearts and for working with us and helping us along and, and for all his provisions in the natural providing for us, in the spiritual providing for us, giving us hunger and feeding us and meeting the needs and all these things he does. He's really, really good. And um, hopefully we will remember these things you know, whenever a test comes or if need be, chastening or, or whatever, that we can uh, look to the Lord and, and know and really realize that he's, he's doing these things for, what's it say, verse 10? Our good or our profit. That's the reason. He's a good God and he does that for us because it's what's there that we need. We really need it. And he'll, he'll develop us uh, so that we can hold more of him. Okay, let's uh, let's stop there, and we'll continue next week.